Hey everyone, I wanted to give you a heads up about some promotions that are going on at Blick Art Supply. I also wanted to remind everyone to use our affiliate link when you order your art supplies from Blick. Just go to MessyStudioPodcast.com slash Blick, and that will take you straight through to the regular Blick website. But when you navigate there using our link, you are asking Blick to donate 10% of your purchase to the Messy Studio Podcast. I always recommend just bookmarking the link, then you never have to think about it again. Just use the bookmark and support the show. It is effortless, costs you nothing, and makes a huge difference for us. Right now, Blick is running their fall clearance sale. There are 138 products available at massive discounts, and you can get free shipping on orders over $45 using promo code CFDS at checkout. A product that caught my eye is the Sennelier Dry Pigments, which are currently 33 to 58% off list price. So once again, that's MessyStudioPodcast.com slash Blick and use promo code CFDS on orders over $45 to get your shipping for free. So that's MessyStudioPodcast.com slash Blick and promo code CFDS. That's all for now. On with the show. Hello and welcome to The Messy Studio with Rebecca Kroll, the podcast at the intersection of art, travel, entrepreneurship, philosophy, and life in general. I am Ross Tickner, Rebecca's audio producer, podcast guru, and her son. On today's episode, we are talking about creative mess. We named our podcast The Messy Studio for a reason that goes beyond the physical working space. We also mean to imply that the creative process itself is rarely neat or clearly defined. It is more often confusing and convoluted. This aspect of creativity can be frustrating, but it's necessary each time we find a new path in our work. Today, we talk about the importance of the messy stages of creativity and how clarity can be achieved as we move forward. With me, as always, is Rebecca Kroll. Hello, everyone. Yeah, you and I sort of joked recently that because my new studio here in New Mexico is kind of small. Um, I have to keep it a little bit neater because it just isn't room to make a mess. And we were we were joking, do we need to change our name to like the newly neat studio or something like yeah. that? <laughs> but but that's what uh, you know got me thinking more about our name and why we chose it, and that it does have a deeper meaning than just the physical mess. Although I still do tend to make plenty of that, <laughs> but it's it's this other um, aspect that we're going to get into today, and and I would say you know I know some very creative people who have extremely neat studios, and so I'm not drawing any correlation between physical and mental states in the actual space. They, they're really a different thing, and it's just kind of an aside. But I do understand the appeal of order. Um, as I, you know, I've made a few changes in that direction myself. And I can sort of get that a neat orderly space could make this inner mess that we all encounter a little more bearable. You know, it's like, well, you don't have to deal with physical mess. It's just whatever is going on in your head or in your painting or whatever. Um, anyway, today it's not about the messy studio itself, the actual space, but um, that analogy to messy situations that we run into in our work and uh, in our attitudes as we deal with all this kind of chaotic stuff that we can get into, lack of clarity. Um, I was thinking that sometimes what's going on in our minds and emotions is is kind of like, you know, the mess in the studio, the pile of dirty paint rags or your, your counter that's all piled with stuff. <laughs> 
So I, I am assuming that most artists go through these confusing stages, and I'm not alone, um, when it's just, it's just hard to see your way clear and to see, you know, how are you going to go forward? And it, it's just, it can be frustrating. Um, and I don't know, it was a while ago now, a few weeks ago, I, I put a picture up on Facebook that I took in my studio, and it showed two stages of my work. And one was a painting that I'd just gotten into, and it was just a bunch of color and marks on the panel. And then it was next to one that was done. And a friend of mine, Max McConkie, um, he, he made a comment about this that I thought was kind of interesting. And he was talking about how paintings kind of mature after they go through these more chaotic stages. And I'm just going to read what he wrote because he says it better than I can. But uh, he said, let's call it the life cycle of a painting, analogous to one's own. So there's birth as paint is first delivered to the surface, those early developmental years of discovery with incidents later hidden away, relegated to memory, uh, but new territories explored. And then the wild teenage experimental years of carefree frivolity, playfulness, followed by a less frantic period of seriousness, of settling down, establishing one's adult identity, and then the onset of beautiful, more quiet maturity leading to full development. <laughs> and I just thought, hmm, that's a pretty good analogy. Um, he does describe the stages of a painting in, in very positive terms. Uh, I mean, he's even talking about the teenage phase. He's saying it's, you know, just kind of wild and fun. Um, and... I would say those early stages can also, they can be wild and fun for sure, but they can also feel chaotic and unmanageable. <laughs> and and settling down to reach the, the completion, the more mature phases, is not always easy. But uh, I do like the description of the painting as having a life cycle. And, and beyond the exact description, the idea that we have to go through each stage. Um, each stage is a learning stage, and we have to go through each one to get to the next one. Um, and that means that each stage is important, and they are learning opportunities. And I think they're the times when we most challenge ourselves, you know, when we don't see the way clear. Um, I guess you could think about if you're in a stage like this with a work of art that every every mess or every confusing stage of your work is really pretty unique. I mean, you have never created this exact situation before, this exact mess. <laughs> and I think that means there's potential to learn from it and stretch what you already know because you're coming upon something new. And it's not that we can't you know, create similar messes over time, but everyone has some, you know, germs or seeds of ideas in it. Um, so even even knowing that, I would say that, um, you know, even knowing that there's a lot of positive aspects to working your way through something, it's kind of falling apart. Um, it, it is really tempting to revert to sort of tried and true solutions when you find yourself in one of these situations. Um, I think as people, our sort of impulses 
okay, how can I get out of this as quickly and easily as possible? <laughs> and if you're talking about your artwork, that can mean repeating solutions a lot and not, you know, moving forward. And, but it, you know, certainly tempting. And I was thinking about, well, what if you, what if you put down some colors in a painting that you look at these colors and you think, ugh, you know, that looks awful. They're clashing or they just look terrible together. That This happened to me recently in a painting. You know, I had pink and orange and purple. <laughs> oh, man. So You're like, oh, I ruined this. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I never really think I ruined it, but it was that feeling of, wow, what a mess, you know. And, and so I think the initial impulse is usually, well, just paint over it, you know, just get rid of this. But I guess the point I'm trying to make is that sometimes when you have these situations, um, you can challenge yourself and say, okay, in terms of this particular example, is there a color that I could bring to the painting that would actually make this work? You know, you're sort of setting yourself up a problem when you're encountering this bit of a mess. Um, or maybe, and, and actually what I ended up doing was finding um, a, a color to glaze over like a transparent orange, and it brought everything together. It, it altered everything enough with the same um, hue over the top of it that you could see the other colors underneath a little bit, but but it unified them. So, um, and, you know, made it interesting, and I just, I just went on with this. And so I guess you come to those crossroads and you say, do I obliterate this or do I, um, you know, well, maybe there's something I can come up with that's going to point me in some new direction. And, you know, I think... Some redeeming quality? Yeah. Yes. (laughs) I think on this podcast, we're always sort of pushing people to to push themselves, really. So... uh, Yeah, and and explore something new and... Yeah. 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 And so just, if you run into a problem just saying, okay, I'm going to get rid of this and, and, you know, ditch it then what are you really learning? You, you learned that you got into a mess and the best way out is just forget it. <laughs> I will also say, though, that the other pitfall sort of is you can get into this cycle of trying to fix something uh, because you don't want to obliterate it. There's something you like about it. But you you can get into sort of a an endling, endless sort of fiddling stage, you know, <laughs> I'll try this, I'll try that, uh, and, and nothing's really working. And I speak from experience on this. I've got a painting I basically like, but there's some part of it that isn't working. So I could spend an hour just trying different things. And then at some point, uh, I kind of snap out of that trance of, <laughs> I've got to fix this thing, and and walk away from it. And then you come back later, you might see it quite differently. Um and you might see what to do, and you also might see, okay, <laughs> I've tried, it hasn't worked, I'm going to give myself a completely fresh start. Um, do you and- have kind of a, a process that you go through, like a, like an order of operations when you're trying <laughs> to assess what's going on here? Well, that first, the thing I said about walking away is so helpful because once you start into this kind of compulsive tweaking and changing one little thing after another, you're, you lose sight of the big picture. That's what I do. I, I can only see this one little part that's bugging me and trying to make it right. And even if I step back and look at the whole thing, I'm so focused on that problem area. And in order to, to get a fresh look at it, I really need to get away from it. 
and then come back and decide. Um, sometimes the thing that will occur to me is something I hadn't thought of at all. Maybe it's in a different part of the painting. And what's really the problem is I need to pull attention to a different part of the painting. For example, there's maybe something wrong with the composition. And I wouldn't see that unless I kind of broke out of that, um, whatever it is. I call it sort of a spell. <laughs> I can't seem to walk away. Um, and I think that you often don't even realize until you've been at this for a while, that these little changes aren't working. And and I would say most likely if the small little tweaks aren't really helping, the painting probably does have a bigger problem. And here I'm talking about painting because that's what I do, but it would it would be probably true for other media as well. And you're just you're just not seeing where the real mess is, maybe, and focused on this one part. So um I think another thing, another maybe another step in that awareness is to to try to recognize and realize when you keep doing the same things over and over that that end up in a mess or a dead end or something. And you know, we always talk about learning by trial and error, but the only way that works is when you actually can identify the error, right? <laughs> I mean, that's the way it works right. the best. You have to... Otherwise, you're just spinning your wheels and getting more frustrated. Spinning wheels. Yeah, that's, that's a good way to put it. Um, and, and you know, we all have blind spots about ourselves in all kinds of ways. <laughs> we, we don't see aspects of our personality. We don't see things that we do that annoy people. And we don't see necessarily things that we're repeatedly doing with our work that are kind of sabotaging it a bit. Um, and, uh, you know, this could be a lot of different things. It could be a technical thing that, you know, you're not doing something right. Um, in the example of painting, maybe you're always trying to add more paint when the whole thing is just too wet and you're not able to avoid mud. And so you continually find yourself out, self in a kind of a chaotic, muddy paint situation. Um, it could be something about your process that you're just not really aware of. And one of the things um, that that Jerry and I have run into with students is that sometimes people aren't really aware that they're, the scale they're working in isn't really right. And they, they would be more comfortable working large or working small uh, working smaller than they do or larger than they do. And because the scale isn't right, they tend to have difficulties with composition and just with paint handling and things like that. And it, you know, just like never occurred to, to somebody that, oh, because we have our default mode, you know, we paint on a certain scale. So things like that, um, and, you know, can be helpful to get other people's input. And, and then there's, there's thing there's things that are just attitudes that are kind of uh, undermining or bad habits and and um one that comes to my mind is um just rushing through things have being impatient about getting through all those stages to the happy end <laughs> and that's kind of uh, the kiss of death with <laughs> with a lot of artwork i mean you can be quick and spontaneous and all that but you can't really i don't feel like you can rush the whole evolution of a piece and and just hurry up and get it done because it unfolds in its own time maybe quick time maybe a long time but it just it just never seems to work to just i don't know just get impatient and say it's done 
and and it's similar you know it's a problem when you just stop too soon before your work is resolved and 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 then your end result may be messy it may lack structure or cohesiveness because you haven't really worked through all the all the problems with the composition and so on let's take a break to talk about what's new with cold wax academy Rebecca and her partner, Jerry McLaughlin, are excited to be launching year two of Cold Wax Academy's membership program, which began in October of 2020. In the coming year, live online learning sessions will feature an entirely new set of topics, beginning with a deep dive into technique and the steps involved in developing a painting. Other topics for year two include professional development, abstraction and realism, principles of design, and expanded uses for cold wax medium. As always, members will have access to recordings of all previous sessions, including everything from the first year, so it's easy to join anytime. Fall quarter begins October 6th. Please visit coldwaxacademy.com for details. That's coldwaxacademy.com about membership levels and to sign up for a new year of exciting learning experiences. So once again, that's coldwaxacademy.com. Okay, let's get back into it. Okay, so so that was, we were just talking about, you know, trying to recognize these things where you may be tripping yourself up. And I think that encountering, as we said earlier, encountering messy situations, encountering, you know, really difficult parts of your process, that's okay, that's inevitable. Um, but hopefully you're not just repeating the same ones. And we all do to some extent. I mean, it it's such a learning process that, you know, maybe until somebody points it out, you really don't get it. You don't see it. And you can be, you know, oblivious <laughs> and find yourself back in the same place over and over. And again, with paint, this is often um, muddy paint. It's often chaotic color, lack of structure, and those kind of things. And can be hard to, to find your way, find your way out of that. Um, and, and I do think, though, that we all encounter situations where we don't really see the way forward. Um, you know, no matter what media you work in, you know, you, in painting, you have this sort of endless painting that never seems to get done. You just keep messing with it. Maybe if you're doing drawing, you've you've erased it so many times that the paper's starting to, you know, peel up and... Um, Maybe you're doing sculpture and you've messed something up and you just can't seem to hide it or fix it. And you just start banging your head against the wall. And I think the danger there is just getting stuck there. And what I mean is feeling like you absolutely have to resolve this before you can move on. Uh, it goes back to that sort of, you know, compulsive trying to fix it thing. And you can you can end up spending all your time on something that really is not it's not good enough to spend all that time on because there may be some some bigger problem there, or just realizing, hey, I can't fix the chip in this bowl that I've been making or something like that. I, I do need to move on. And I would say there are a lot of cases where you do have to put it aside and and even completely destroy it. Um, I always think of this as creative destruction. 
And I do this sometimes with paintings. I just, I get to a point where I just, I think I'm just going around in circles. I'm not getting anywhere. And it's really then really liberating to paint over it. And usually for me, that's um, either very like white paint, very light paint, or very dark paint, and just, <laughs> you know, get rid of it, paint over it. And, and then start to uh, maybe scrape back a little or see if there's something that will come out when I start messing with the surface a little bit. But the feeling of just moving on is, is sometimes, sometimes that's what you need. Um, and I think it kind of gets down to realizing that at the point, you know, where I would do that is I'm not going to learn anything more from messing with this and trying to get it right. I'm just trying to perform rescue operations <laughs> and, and maybe the patient isn't worth saving, you know, it's, it's kind of hopeless. And, um, and that if I start over with a fresh layer of paint, there are things that you have, that I have learned in the process of the work that I can cycle back to, but I have, I don't have to fight with every, everything that's not working on the surface there. And I, I would say, if you have that moment of destruction and you do this, um, before you do it, maybe really take a moment to say, okay, why am I deciding that this thing is just not worth saving? And maybe make some notes, think about it a little bit. Um, oftentimes for me, it's because yes, have a funeral. <laughs> say goodbye. Um, I think for me, it's often I've gotten just too tight, you know, and, and all the little tweaks and fiddling is not helping. <laughs> it's getting tighter and tighter. And so that's that's why I kind of love that creative destruction where I just blast it all apart. <laughs> uh, because it, you know, it feels good because it's gotten too constrained. Um and and I can sense that, and I can think, oh well, I can get, I can move past that in this, and then I realize, no, actually, the character of this painting has been set long ago, and I, I'm not going to change it, uh, just with my little adjustments. Um, so, and and I also think, you know, just trying to keep the big picture in mind. If if you work in your studio a lot you create a lot of paintings or whatever it is that you do. You create a lot of work. And uh, it takes it takes a lot of practice to get things that are working. It takes like sheer numbers of things really to to get ones that are working. And so you you know, you're going to have ones that just don't come together. And then you figure out what to do. And some people actually put them in the trash. They don't try to even paint over them and, and that depends a little bit on your medium whether that's possible something like you know watercolor uh right you know when it's when it's gone you can't save it and i actually think working in media that do not allow you to tweak and adjust and mess around too much is really a good discipline and that includes watercolor includes like charcoal drawing um they Ink. they just don't allow it. Yeah, yeah. It's and that's something that I I think uh, everyone kind of goes through in art school, um, where you're you're doing a lot of uh, more gestural work and uh, 
uh, trying to get a feel for just the movement of the materials mm-hmm. um, and and creating a sense of movement and a sense of action um, and uh, and and not not going back and fiddling with it. Yeah, and every every medium too has has ways to achieve beautiful clarity and has ways to fall into this messy state. <laughs> and one of the biggest learning curves that people have when they start any medium is uh, knowing when you're getting too close to the edge of, of losing it. <laughs> and and even with oil paint, even with things that you can paint over, um, you may build up so much texture or something on the surface and there's just so much there, you start fighting with it. And it's not it's not easy to make uh, make changes. And so, yeah, there's this, I mean, we've talked in other podcasts about this aspect of spontaneity and control and what you were saying, the freedom of some media to be spontaneous. And you go into it rather quickly and you sort of, it's easier also to move away from it and say, well, that one didn't work out. Uh, next, give me another piece of paper. I'll try again, you know. Uh, right. These are pieces with a very short life cycle. Right. And so they, they're easier to abandon and not get mired down into. And it's something we see a lot with people working in, in our workshops with cold wax medium is a lot of times we have people do these quick, spontaneous paintings on pieces of paper. And, you know, they're only spending maybe 10 or 15 minutes on a little painting. And some of them are so gorgeous and spontaneous and some are messy and they're not going to be resolved. And it's just, it's so easy then to just ditch the ones that, that don't work. But people get a little frustrated and say, why can't I carry that energy into the bigger work? Why does the bigger work get bogged down, get messy, get get constrained and, you know, too tight and all these things? And I don't really know the answer to that. I, I have seen so many examples of people trying to move from small scale to larger with the same image. Um, you know, let's blow this up to a large scale. And uh, if the painting is relying on, you know, gestural movement, spontaneity and all that, it doesn't really work very well. And I think it it just gets down to the whole thing of respecting each medium for what it can do. Um, understanding each medium's uh, downfalls or pitfalls and not trying to force a medium to do what it's not really meant to do. And that that can really, you know, that's one of those things that, as I mentioned, people can have blind spots about where they're ending up in the same problems over and over again. And one of those is taking a medium, um, well, I always talk about cold wax medium, since that's what I'm very familiar with, but it's not really suited for really precise um, work, small detail. It can be done, and some people do it well, but it's it's something that takes a lot of practice. So what it's really suited for more is a different kind of way of handling it, a looser way. And so if you don't quite accept what the limitations of your medium are, you do you can often end up in these messes and frustrations. Um, and not really realize why you think it should work. Why not? <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, and it can be tough. Well, I, I think that this uh, this whole idea of kind of 
the personification of a of a piece of art and the the life cycle that it goes through is really interesting. It it really is. Yeah. And I think I think just thinking about that gives you a perspective too. You know, if you're in the middle of something and you say, well, those years from about, you know, 13 to 25 aren't all that easy for a lot of people. <laughs> you're trying to figure a lot of things out and maybe that's where my painting's at. And you know, I think I think it's a great analogy. There's a lot of a lot of things you can say about it, and and I I also like the idea of the the maturing uh, painting, um, the end stage of a painting where, you know, it's kind of come together, and you can look back and say, well, I got here. It wasn't easy, but you know, here I am. I made it. <laughs> it's just, and it, I think it does give you an interesting perspective. Do you have any final thoughts to wrap up this episode? Uh, just to repeat that the creative process is just hardly ever straightforward and linear. But I think it's funny that some in some part of our brains, we think it ought to be, kind of expect it should be. Um, I think maybe that's just human nature to think things should be easier than they are. Um, but I also believe that inside most of us know that we have to take these challenges on and our work is not going to grow and change if we don't have to kind of power through these messy parts and these difficult parts, um, the chaos, frustration, muddy paint, all that stuff. And, um, you know, talking about that Max's analogy that we, we just were talking about, about the life cycle of a work of art. And, and nobody goes through life without struggles and messy situations. Um, but, you know, I guess as with life, when, when you get to that mature phase, you can feel this kind of peace and satisfaction. You, you made it through, you worked through those difficult phases. All right, well, that just about wraps up this episode of The Messy Studio. For more from The Messy Studio, please check out www.messystudiopodcast.com and sign up for the email list. You can also find The Messy Studio on Facebook, as well as public profiles for both Rebecca Kroll and myself, Ross Tickner. For more from Rebecca Kroll, please check out www.rebeccacroll.com and Cold Wax Academy at www.coldwaxacademy.com and sign up for the email lists to stay up to date on events, book signings, and openings. The Messy Studio Podcast is a core publication management production. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again next week with more art and entertainment. In the meantime, embrace your creative space, messy or otherwise. Thanks, everybody.